You're listening to the VJ Books Podcast, produced by vjbooks.com, the premier seller of signed books. In every episode, we chat with an author, discuss an upcoming book, or give you tips on how to start your book collection. Make sure to follow this podcast on your platform of choice to get the latest updates, and subscribe to us on anchor.fm for ad-free episodes. For just a dollar a month, you can get exclusive ad-free episodes, plus a monthly discount code usable on anything in our store. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to VJ Books Podcast, and welcome to the start of a new feature, VJ Books Author of the Month. When you're inaugurating a series, you want to lead off with the best, and they certainly have done so by choosing Kevin J. Anderson, a writer's writer. We're going to take this in three parts, beginning with a look at his prolific career, which is evidenced by the fact that he has not one but two books coming out in June. Parts two and three, we'll take a look at those two very different but equally absorbing books, Clockwork Destiny and Sands of Dune. But we begin with his career, which is legendary. Now, the last time we were fortunate enough to talk with Kevin was in 2016, when again, he had two books coming out, one in the Clockwork series and one in the Dune series. At that time, his total amounted to 142. In fact, he has more series than most authors have novels. And just as Hank Snow bragged that he'd been everywhere man, Kevin J. Anderson has pretty much written everywhere man. He has improved other people's universes, including both Star Wars and Star Trek, Dune, X-Files, Batman, Superman, Justice Society of America, Predator, Captain Nemo, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, Frankenstein, and even A.E. Van Vogt's Slan. And he's written a number of other trilogies and beyond, both singly and in conjunction with other writers. But as they say in those infomercials, that's not all. Kevin got his Bachelor of Science with honors in physics and astronomy at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and a Master of Fine Arts from Lindenwood University. Currently heads a graduate program in creative writing and publishing at Western Colorado University. Now, in addition to all that writing and teaching and rock climbing and outdoor adventures, Kevin also founded World Word Fire Press, which not only reintroduced some of his own out-of-print work, but also several previously unpublished and out-of-print novels by Frank Herbert and Ellen Drury's Advice and Consent and sequels, among others. He's edited a half dozen anthologies. Oh, and did we mention he worked for 12 years at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory? Where met fellow writers Rebecca Mesta and Doug Beeson. Mary One collaborated with both. He has a boatload of honors, Hugo Nebula, Bram Stoker nominations, guest of honor invitations, and a Guinness World Record for largest single author signing. Somehow, we feel that he's jotting notes for his next novel even as we speak, and we're very pleased to welcome polymath creator and master of universes, Kevin J. Anderson. Well, thank you, Roger, but I think we're out of time now, so we're... Uh... Okay. I'm sorry. I just am skimming your, your career because you've got so much. But I have to go back to the very beginning. Somewhere I read the very first story you got uh, published, they paid you in copies of the magazine. Do you still have a copy? It's buried away in the storage area, but yes, I still have a copy. That was very precious to me to see my, my name in print. I think I was a junior in high school. I was like 12 or 13 years old, and it was just like this little... Uh, Wisconsin high school writings, and I had submitted it in, and it's a little three-paragraph flash fiction story. Of course, I didn't know what flash fiction was at at the time, but um, I, I published it. And you know, I'm one of these people. You you kind of listed all of my stuff, and one of the reasons that I've gotten so much stuff like that done is 
I knew from the time I was five years old that I wanted to be a writer. I, I never wasted time doing career searches and and midlife crises and all that stuff. I it was in my DNA that I wanted to be a writer and and I made up my mind to tell stories and and just start writing. I I snuck into my dad's office uh, when I was eight years old and I I put some scrap paper in his typewriter and I typed out my first novel when I when I was eight and I've just kind of kept doing stories and everything and and it's not you know you you kind of talked about the the breadth and the different things that I've done and it, it's really because I'm I'm a diehard fanboy of the genre. I love comics. I love fantasy. I love science fiction. I love horror. I love dark fantasy. I love mysteries. I read them all the time. And I just, um, I, I don't, I don't like to just write one thing and I write what's interesting to me and I'm not really doing it on purpose. I mean, I've got, uh, as we've talked about, I've got a Dune book coming out this month. I've got a steampunk fantasy adventure, uh, with Neil Peart. That's also coming out, uh, just today, uh, I did book eight. I sent it out to all of my Kickstarter backers in this humorous horror detective series called Dan Shamble Zombie PI. And this is, I love that series. It's like funny. It's like the Adams family meets the Rockford files. And I just loved it. But the original publisher only did four books and they kind of didn't want to push it anymore. So I got all the rights back and I published them in my own publishing house. And then um, it's, it's been like five years since I did a brand new book in this series because it's all, I mean, I don't, I'm busy with, with tour books and Dune novels and everything else. And I finally thought, well, let's, the fans really love this series. So let's see how much they want to support it. And so I just put it up in, in Kickstarter and, and we got this, I think it funded at 23 times what I was expecting. And it, it paid me three times. I mean, I, I have lots of expenses to produce all the book, but but the money that came in was three times what the original publisher was paying for the books. So we're just going to keep doing them that way. And this is my my beloved series. But um, I, I kind of got off on a tangent when I talked about that. The thing is, that's it's, it's humorous. It, it's laugh so hard brains will come out your nose kind of things. It's just really dumb humor. And then, of course, Dune is big epic science fiction and Clockwork Destiny is like Sense of Wonder, Steampunk with Airships and Alchemy. And it was just a, a recent interview that I did that kind of helped me crystallize how to how to do this. That I'm I'm also, which you didn't mention in the background, I'm also a pretty good cook. And I cook every evening. Uh, my my wife does the cleanup and I do the cook cooking. And I just go into the kitchen, I get creative and do things. And, you know, some nights I want to cook Italian and some nights I want to cook Indian. Some nights I just want to do American burgers or chicken on the grill. And other nights I want to do uh, Mexican food. And that's kind of like my my writing. I love all of that food and it's just kind of different cuisines. And, and it's something that I, I, I feel like, well, let's let's not do Mexican every night. Let's let's uh, change it up a little bit. And so that's why. I have uh, such a diversity of things and um, I, you know, you just sort of put a quarter in me and this, let me talk because I've got so many. And, and, you know, one of the things earlier in my career, this sort of thing uh, kind of set me back a little bit because nobody understood what a Kevin Anderson book was. Cause I would do fantasy here and horror there and science fiction there. And, and that kind of, 
was a drawback because, you know, you I had my science fiction fans that didn't want the zombie books. And then I had the humorous people who didn't want the serial killer books and, and things like that. But I've just plain been stubborn and persistent and kept at it so that I now have uh, like my own name is kind of the brand name that they'll pick up a Kevin Anderson book and they, and they're smart enough to know, Oh, this is one of those kind. I like those, or this is one of those. And I don't like those. And, and I just keep building it up. But um, this has also been this nonstop legwork. I think the first time that, that uh, we met you guys was, Brian Herbert and I were doing, gosh, it was maybe our third or fourth Dune book tour, and and you had sent, or, or John and Virginia had sent, like, boxes of the books to our hotel room to uh, to just sign them when we went went to the room to go to bed. We had all these books to sign, and we signed them all and packaged them up and, and left them down for the uh, for somebody to pick up in the lobby. But you were really nice because you left pens in there for us and a bottle of wine buried in the bottom of the of, of the books to sign. But but that's how long uh, we have been supporting VJ Books, and it's like almost every other month it seems like I get this package of signature pages, and and uh, somebody always writes me this polite letter saying, "Are you willing to sign more pages?" I go, yeah, "Of course, I'm willing to sign more pages." So. You know, it's it, 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 John and Virginia and, and Evan, an awesome bunch of people. We really appreciate it. I, I love working with them, absolutely. So uh, to throw you another starter question here, in addition to all your solo work, of course, and you have collaborated, I, I like to think of you as Annie Lou Harris of um, writing because she's collaborated with everybody. And I have a list, which I had to put in alphabetical order, um, and I, I, I'm sure I'm missing some of them, but the ones that I looked up included uh, Doug Beeson, John Gregory Betancourt, Brian Herbert, Dean Koontz, your wife, uh, Neil Peart, uh, Mike Resnick, Christine Catherine Rush, Tom Beach, and probably a whole bunch of others I missed. So the question I have is, do you have like a standard way you work when you work with somebody or is each partnership different? Well, I, I can actually do a plug for a, for a book that I collaborated with my wife on. It's called writing as a team sport, all, all about collaborating. And cause we, this is a question I get asked constantly because they have so many different collaborators and, and each one is a little bit different. There are kind of different techniques. And finally, so we set up and again, I'll, I'll plug it. Writing as a team sport. It's an ebook for five bucks if you want it. I mean, it, it's just a, a writer's guide. And um, and I have collaborated with my wife on, oh gosh, maybe 38, 39 books. And we've been married 31 years. So it, somehow that worked. Uh, Brian Herbert and I have been really, truly, uh, he's one of my very best friends. And we've been working together, writing millions of words together for 25 years. So uh, that that worked. So anyway, the way I work with Brian and, and Rebecca is kind of the most, and Doug Beeson, is kind of the most fully engaged collaboration that we, we'll just meet and we will brainstorm and we'll kind of map out the whole book. Like for a Dune book, it, it'll turn out to be like a hundred chapters. Brian and I will, uh, we used to do it with like little colored index cards all over the floor. Like here's an emperor chapter and here's a Duke Leto chapter. And and we put them out almost like a mosaic and you go, wait, there's two blue cards together. We got to separate those with the red card. And now we're much more high tech. We just do colored lines in a Microsoft Word document. But um, but anyway, we, we would just brainstorm the whole thing 
Uh, and it's, it's almost like a jazz performance that each person's playing their own instruments and you build it up. And by the time we finish, like Brian Herbert will spend three, four days together. I mean, pre-pandemic, I would just go and stay with him for a few days. Uh, during COVID, we had to plot things by Zoom and phone call, which is, um, it's not, it, it's by Zoom and phone call, it's not like the best way of doing it. It's not as interactive, but it's, but we had to do a lot of sacrifices during the pandemic. So anyway, um, so by the time we're done, both of us will have like this, it's like we both watch the same movie. We have the full understanding of this book in our head. And then we'll take like the hundred chapters, the hundred index cards for the Dune book. Um, and Brian will take 50 of them and I will take 50 of them. And I'll take the ones that, I mean, they're obvious ones that this is a Kevin chapter, this is a Brian chapter. And then we end up doing like horse trading at the end of like, okay, you, you can have two emperor chapters if I can have one Bene Gesserit chapter or something like that. Um, and then we Right. Yeah, that begs the question then, what kind of chapters do you think are Kevin J. Anderson chapters? Well, I mean, I'm my background is in physics and astronomy, and I've got a minor in Russian history. So I I kind of like the the world building stuff, the more science-based things. I'm I'm good at action and and you know space battles and and sword fights and things. Um Brian has a background in philosophy and comparative religion. So um, it, it makes a perfect match for us with Dune that we can kind of we can kind of tie our skills together and and just give it the depth and, and breadth that we need it. And then, you know, so we'll both we'll write our own chapters, but then we'll exchange them and I'll rewrite all of his to polish them up and he'll rewrite all of mine to polish them up. And then it just kind of goes back and forth and back and forth could be five times, could be 13 times, depends on how long it, it takes to smooth out all the bumps. I, I do want to mention, you mentioned collaborating so much with your wife. Does it help to have a first reader right there in the house? Oh, I'll see. Even when she doesn't collaborate with me, she always collaborates with me because she is, Rebecca is very skilled, very talented as as an editor. She's probably the most ruthless editor that I mean, she won't let me get away with any grammatical mistakes, any um, things that are unclear, any like when I when I get an edited manuscript back from my actual publisher, it's about a tenth of what Rebecca puts into it. I mean, she'll she goes through and we actually had to learn how to do that, because if I would sit next to her, I would like go. But why did you change that word? And what's wrong with this comma? And and that did not lead to marital harmony. So now she just marks up the manuscripts and then I go off to the other room and, and key in almost everything. So, but she, she really and truly, I mean, there are people who pay for developmental editors. There are people who pay for line editors and copy editors. And, and I've kind of got the, the best one right there in the house and I cook dinner for her every night. So that's kind of how she gets paid. And she, she I think she wins in this too. I think, I think, in fact, I think that the remark that a good friend said, you both married up, which is good. Yeah, well, we looked for that and it, it worked just fine. So, um, but I also want to mention a separate, um, that like I said, there are different techniques of collaborating and other ways that I've done it, especially with short stories. Um, I'll often collaborate in short stories with like an, an up and coming writer that I'm mentoring, like one of my Padawans somebody who's really good and, and 
like uh, Bain Books will ask me, Kevin, can you write a story for this John Ringo anthology? And I, I agree to, and then when the deadline comes, I'm like, oh crap, I don't have any time for this because I'm in the middle of a Dune a deadline. So I will bring in um, a fellow writer and what I'll do, we call this the first and final technique where one of us will bang out the first draft of the story and the other one will polish it up and get it ready for publication. And sometimes it's me that writes the first draft. Sometimes it's the other writer and I just do my polish on it. Um, personally, I got to say that I, um, I, I much prefer as a writer, I love writing the first draft. I love telling the story. I, I hate doing the fine tuning and, and commas and shortening sentences and things that that's, that's work for me, whereas the other stuff is fun. So if I can, I'll, I'll go bang out the first draft of a story and then um, let somebody else polish it up. You're a, a thinking writer, uh, um, an inspirational writer, an idea guy, basically. Well, but I, I also plot very carefully. There are, there are many writers that are called um, discovery writers or, or I call them seat of the pants writers or pantsers where they kind of sit down and go, well, let's see what this is stories about. And then I'll just kind of write it and see where it goes. Um, I got to tell you, if you're collaborating with somebody that doesn't work very well. It's like, if you're, if you're taking a road trip and two people are sharing the driving duties, you better both have the same roadmap. Otherwise you'll never get where you're trying to go. Um, but there are other writers that that's the way they, they get their stuff done. They, they write, I mean, they're, um, all the time that I've taught writing and workshops and everything, uh, one thing you have to understand is writing is a very personal process and you can listen to other writers talk about how they do it. So you can use that as a, a, a new tool in your toolkit. You can go, oh, well, I'll, like, I'm, I'm kind of well known. I, I live in the beautiful Rocky Mountains. I'll go out hiking and I will just dictate a story. And other people say, well, I've never done that before and they can try it. I now have a whole bunch of converts that just love dictating instead of typing. And that's just a different technique. You won't know until you try it. And mm -hmm. any writer who says, no, you must do it my way. That's the only way to write uh, doesn't know what they're talking about. Which reminds me, when you collaborate with other people, have you picked up ideas from them or, or concepts or way of doing things that have influenced your own work? Well, I, I did a lot of collaborating uh, when I was just starting out, when I was like writing short stories for small press magazines. Um, you know, many of them are lost now, and, and thankfully so. In many cases, they're really old. But um, like I would just another writer that would be at my level of writing. We were both maybe had one publication or a couple of little things. And what we did was we'd go, hey, let's write a story together and kind of figure it out. And I would observe how they, you know, set the scene or built a cliffhanger or describe, uh, describe something. Or they would just figure out ways that I would learn from and then they would learn from me as well. Um, now, it, I'm, I'm the old dog trying to be taught new tricks. I mean, it's, I'll, I'll learn new software and things. In fact, I've got a new graphic art software that I'm going to be playing around with a demo just like today or tomorrow. Uh, but I, I've kind of, I've kind of figured out how to do the writing now. So I don't, I don't need somebody to teach me how better to plot something or whatever. Right. But the other thing is I'm always 
reading or watching movies or I'm, I'm always just trying to absorb stories or I'm, I'm watching the news or nonfiction things and just trying to, oh, I don't know anything about Napoleon's use of hot air balloons. Let's figure out that. Well, I made that up. I don't know if he used them or not. But all of those things are like ingredients that I can use uh, when I want to cook. And, you know, if I, if I have um, curry powder, that probably won't help me the next time I'm making Mexican, but it's good to have when I decide to do um, Indian food. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to bounce around a little bit because you've yeah. got such a big body of work. I want to pick out a couple that I really have. Such a big with. body. What do you mean? I've been on I'm exercising and. Yeah. Oh, seriously, folks, I'll be here all week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I want to talk about something as an old comic book fan, and I used to be a collector and whatnot. I was fascinated back when DC formed the Justice League and then reintroduced the Justice Society. America from the golden age of the 30s and 40s. And your graphic novel uh, about that was so much fun because the concept of robot zombies in itself, you had me at that right there, that that mashup is so what you're able to do so well. well. One, of the, uh, one of the things that, that came to me because the vice president of DC Comics was a big Dune fan, and so we, I would send him books, and and we kind of got got to know each other. And and uh, he said, "Well, Kevin, if there's anything in DC that you want to write, we'd be happy to have it." And I'm I'm just like this. I just love those old 1930s, 1940s. I I love the Jay Garrick Flash with the you know with the helmet and the wings on him, and I I love the old Alan Scott Green Lantern with the the Im, improbable and impractical long cape. I mean, how do you fight with that cape on and I, I loved all those. And, and the original Justice Society, there was a one of the characters was Johnny Thunder. And he was sort of like this this nerd boy fanboy who just wanted to join the Justice League. But then he he like found a genie. I can't remember if it was a ring or whatever he has with it, but he's got a genie called Thunderbolt. And so he can summon the genie who will do things. And so Johnny Thunder is is a sort of a mascot and and brought into the the big Justice Society of America. Uh, that that's all real stuff. That's uh, that's the way the whole team was set up, and and just pulling all of my own loves together in this series. Um, I thought this is in the 30s and 40s, and and the big magazine then was Amazing Stories, and I thought, well, how about if Johnny Thunder, this nerd boy, wants to write stories for Amazing Stories, and he wants to be the insider and write the Justice Society stories for. Hugo Gernsback at Amazing Stories, and uh, and of course the kid writes terribly. He keeps execrable manuscripts, and Hugo Gernsback wants his uh, he wants to have a hand inside the real meetings of the Justice Society, so he assigns Golden Age writer Jack Williamson to co-write with jo- with Johnny Thunder, and Jack Williamson, who was a big name uh, in the 1930s and 40s, uh, so. The story is Jack Williamson and Johnny Thunder go on adventures with the Justice Society, and um, and and I wrote I know Jack or I knew Jack when he was alive, and I wrote him and I said Jack I want to do this and he thought it was really uh, a thrill because he used to read those comics when he was a kid, and so I would send him every issue of these comics as they came out with which has young Jack Williamson doing all these adventures. And he would write me back and go, oh, no, I'm really in a mess now. And, and 
he got so excited and he wrote the introduction to the collection. Um, and you know, I, we probably spent way too much time on this because the whole collection is out of print. I don't know where you can find it anymore. Um, but the thing was, is that I pushed all of my own buttons and all of my own fanboy love. But the problem was, is that today's modern comic readers don't want to read the 1940s Justice Society. They don't want to, they don't know who Jack Williamson was. And, and, and so people like, like you and me, Roger, know exactly what all these Easter eggs are. And I'll just take that one as a labor of love. And, and, and I loved writing it and Jack loved, I mean, that was my biggest thing. And Jack dived a year or two after that at, at age 93 or, or more, I don't remember what it was, um, but he loved it. And I just was so thrilled to be able to, uh, to do that. Yeah. And we, we ought to plug a couple of his books, Humanoids and With Folded Hands and a number Metal of Men. excellent things that he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you're listening out there and you haven't checked him out, do that as well. Um, earlier interview we did, we talked about Eternity's Mind, which was <laughs> the conclusion of the trilogy that was the continuation of the seven book series that was space opera to the max. And I have to think it's a lot more complex when you're dealing with 30, 40 characters, a book and stuff that influences other stuff. But is it also as satisfying when it's done? Oh man, my, I really trained myself to write these gigantic like Shogun type epics with 34 main characters and all these storylines going on. You know, the Dune books with Brian are, are much like that. I mean, there's all kinds of storylines put in. Um, but my original series, The Saga of Seven Sons, is it's seven novels long, and each novel is like a hundred ninety thousand words. So they're not they're, they're I mean they're big fat books, and it's just got it's got everything. That's my love letter to science fiction. This series, it's got galactic empires. It's it's got killer robots. It's got alien derelicts. It's got uh, abandoned planets. It's got politics and and emperors and kings, and it's got foot soldiers and street kids and, and romance and battles and alien life forms. And, and it's this huge, um, you know, now I can actually say this because people know what I'm talking about. Um, it, it's like Game of Thrones in space, only mine's finished. Um, and <laughs> Is he ever going to get done with that? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Um, but the, the other thing, though, is it's like the expanse. And when I started writing this, I had not, mm-hmm. I don't even remember if the first one was out or, or what the timing was there, but um, I had not read any of the expanse books, but then when their TV show came out, I, I went to read them and I think they're marvelous. I, I think they're, they're wonderful. And if you like things like the expanse, then the saga of seven sons is um, it's like that. Only mine is more, um, more, galactic space i mean there's alien races and stuff in it whereas the expanse is kind of more confined um earth although they they went quite far in the last couple of books but um mine's mine's got more like more star wars added into it because uh, i've got a lot of background in star wars and and so i did and i planned that book as as it's a seven novel story it's not i wrote a couple of books and they were successful so i'm going to keep pumping out more books this was always planned, start to finish, as seven books, and then um, I mean it, it's it's probably my most successful solo um, project of all. I mean it's in a dozen languages and 
and it's been optioned for TV shows so many times. I just don't get excited anymore. And uh, and, and uh, there's so much of that going on. But then um, I had kind of set up. Basically, it, it's it's a giant threat that's about to tear the all the races in the galaxy apart. And so for the sequel, I needed something that would tear the whole universe apart. And, you know, so that's, you got to get bigger and bigger. And that's the eternities of, well, the dark between the stars, blood of the cosmos and eternity's mind. And, and uh, the dark between the stars was a Hugo nominee. So I'm pretty happy with that. Um, all those books are, but I think to get back to uh, like seven hours ago, your original question, um, I, I really love just grappling with these huge stories and it's a giant canvas that uh, war and peace that you can put on. Uh, but, but kind of sadly, those types of books have fallen a little out of fashion just because paper costs are so high and, and publishers, they don't, they, they don't want to, when I was like in college and just graduated, you would grab a book because it was a thousand pages long because you wanted this big thing. And now it's much more. They want a uh, they want a three hundred page book. They want to knock them out faster. And uh, you know, I suppose I could take the same story and break each one of those novels into three smaller volumes or something like that. Like uh, Peter F. Hamilton's uh, Night's Dawn series. I mean, when he published them in Britain, they were just single enormous volumes. And then when they were released in the U.S., each one was only half the size that they they broke them apart. Uh, but that I mean, that's a mechanical publishing thing. And of course, in eBooks, you can just do as much as you want. Um, but I, I've, I've sort of been discouraged from doing these enormous, big plotted things, although, you know, that's where my heart is. And, I, you know, we're talking about science fiction now, but the giant epic fantasy trilogy that I just finished last January, uh, called, it was Spine of the Dragon and Venge War and Gods and Dragons were the were the three volumes. And those are each, again, 200,000 word books. And, and that's just, again, my love letter to epic fantasy and everything and the world building and the history and the multiple characters and the ancient races and dragons. And I just love doing all that. Um, and again, when I'm trying to sell this trilogy, I go, this is big and complex like Game of Thrones, but mine's finished. And, and, you know that that's George is a friend of mine, and I've known him for a very long time. But but you know one of the one of the discouraging things about you know, George not finishing, and and also Patrick Rothfuss, we're waiting and waiting for the next book, is that that backlash among all of us other fantasy writers is that fans don't want to buy a series until it's done, which really harms us because publishers will base their print runs on how well book one sells. And if nobody buys book one because they're waiting for it to be finished, then the series is dead on arrival. And, and it's very frustrating for us authors because it's like, I go, hello, I'm Kevin J. Anderson. I'm going to finish it. Trust me. And and they should know that by now. But yeah. Well, what are they going to say? It's all of the, the bean counters that run things anyway. Um, let me ask one more question in this section. What's the most common question you get asked by fans? Well, usually I get Star Wars questions about how do I feel about them decanonizing all of my, my extended universe work. Uh, that's that's something where uh, I don't know if, if your listeners are deep in the, the Star Wars the extended universe and stuff. And I wrote like 50 some books for Lucasfilm and various projects. And, 
and when J.J. Abrams, when they did episode seven, Lucasfilm as a company basically said, well, all of these books that we said were the canon history, we're just going to put them in an alternate Earth 2 and we're going to start fresh. And, you know, to me, because I've done so much work in comics, I can respect that. I mean, look at the, the, the Batman movie just came out. Well, that just rebooted it again. And I'm pleased that they kept them all around. They could have just said these don't count anymore. They're all going out of print, but they're around. They just, they're labeled as legends. Um, but there are a lot of purist fans who just are like, wait a second, you told us this was the canon, And now you just said, no, it's not that. And I, I can understand how they're, they're upset. I, I, I mean, I wrote great, the best star Wars books that I could. And uh, I know millions of fans have loved them and, they're still available, and if, if you really don't like it, put a piece of masking tape over the, the legends on the cover. And <laughs> It's a great way to deal with it. Well, thank you for that. I think we'll pause here for a second. Nicely done, by the way. Really appreciate it. 